rest is a universal desire of mankind. We in this region, in Lakeville, I think we can admit that we are frantic. We are so busy. We are so tired. There's so much conflict. There's so much struggle. I look in your eyes. I know what's happening in your lives. And there's pain there. We crave relief. We long for rest. We do. But I have some good news for you. God has provided rest for rebels like us. This is a key theme. The theme of rest is a key theme in the Word of God. And this, this overarching thing, this big theme of rest, is brought up for the first time in the book of Deuteronomy in our passage this morning in chapter 3. The Israelites, okay, the Israelites were to enter the rest of faith in the presence of God. In this path, they were, even without being in the promised land, they were to enter into the rest of faith, into the presence of God, even in the wilderness wanderings, they were to enter into rest by faith right now. And then together... They were to fight for the future rest, the promised inheritance, the inheritance in the land of promise, the land of Canaan. And these things were written for our instruction as the people of God. So Moses is preaching. They're poised to enter the land, and he is preaching about the past, and he is saying, remember God. And last week, remember your past victories in God. And we rehearsed those victories. Remember the victory over King Sihon from the south and King Og the giant in the north. And he's rehearsing these victories. And we're at the tail end of those victories, and we come to a very important passage in our section, where Moses is going to then talk about possessing this land that after Sihon and Og were dispossessed to take possession of that land, and he's going to talk about that possession, and Moses and God is going to call possessing that land rest. In fact, verse 20, you're there, verse 20 is the theological heart of our passage Verses uh, 12 through 22. The text says in verse 20, Until the Lord gives rest to your fellow countrymen as to you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God will give them beyond the Jordan, then you may return every man to his possession which I have given you. So God has destined us God has destined His people for rest through faith alone. There's the final and future rest, our inheritance. Heaven itself, are you there yet? But there is this strange particular promise that through faith we can actually enter into that rest right now. And that's what this passage is all about. And we see this theme of rest, I think, pictured for us as the tribes of Israel begin to take possession of the land of Sihon and Og. And as they, having taken possession of a part of the land already, entering into rest, consider the future experience of their rest as they take the remaining promised land. In fact, the, the land that God had promised years and years before. And so this is what, what we're going to tackle this morning. 
in our passage this great theme of rest. And we're going to see three aspects of rest for the people of God for Israel, and then these aspects apply to us today in the unity of the Scripture. So put your seatbelt on. This is a biblical theology. This is going to be great, I hope, for everyone in here, not just for me. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. Number one, you can fill the blanks in if you want, and we're going to have a map up here and all of that and get just so you can get your bearings as to where we are. Number one then, the first aspect, entering into future rest. Change your outline a little bit, I edited it. Entering into future rest, taking possession. Taking possession in verses 12 through 17. Okay, Chad, if you want to do the map thing now, at least they have a little idea where we're at. Verse 12 in your text. So, we took possession of this land at that time. So, right, Sihon's gone, Og is gone, now they're going to take possession of that land. You with me? Okay. Here's the region from Eror, which is in the valley of Arnon, and half the hill country of Gilead, And its cities I gave to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. So a couple of tribes. The Reubenites get some land, kind of in the southern part. And then a little bit north of that, the Gadites get some land. And then the half-tribe of Manasseh just north of them. Verse 13. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argob concerning Al-Bashan, as it is called the land of Rephaim. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Geshurites and the uh, Machathites and called it, that is, Bashan, after its own name, Havath-Jair, as it is to this day. To Machir, I gave Gilead, and Machir is uh, a descendant of the grandson of Joseph. And so those two boys that are mentioned, Jair and Machir, he's mentioning a couple of descendants of Manasseh as he's talking about that distribution to that tribe of Manasseh. Now he's going to repeat some things in verse 16. To the Reubenites and to the Gadites, now I'm going to say it again, he's going to go down and repeat it. To the Reubenites and to the Gadites, I gave, Moses is speaking, I gave from Gilead even as far as the valley of Arnon, the middle of the valley as a border, and as far as the river Jabbok, the border of the sons of Ammon. The Arabah also, with the Jordan as a border, from Sinareth, don't you just wish they just call it the Sea of Galilee? Sinareth is the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee, even as far as the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, we know that, that's the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, at the foot of the slopes of Pisgah on the east. So, they're taking possession of the land, they're they're entering into their final rest, their inheritance. These tribes are getting their inheritance, okay? So you got the Reubenites, you got the Gadites, and you got the Manasseh up north. And this is all to the east of the Jordan. That's not technically in the the land of promise yet. It's a foretaste. It's an initial experience of that rest that's supposed to fuel their heading in to get the, the rest in the land of Canaan. Okay, so Moses is summarizing this. And in general, I you know, who cares about the locations? You can look it up later. But the kingdom of Sihon in the south, that was given to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. And the kingdom of the giant Og, a little bit north, right? That is given to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Can we get that? We're good with that. Okay. So, as Moses summarizes this, he's a really good leader. He's, um, God's giving the land, but he, the, the leader of Israel is through God, giving the land to this people. He's helping uh, these tribes take possession of the land that the Lord, their God, has given them. And you are to think, as they take possession of the land, this is the Lord giving 
rest. Now, I want you to know that it seems really pretty what happened in the book of Deuteronomy right here. Moses said, hey, you just guys go here, you guys go here, you guys go here, and that was done. It wasn't very pretty. And I want you to see this. I want you to see what really happened. And I want you to do that by turning to Numbers 32. So we're going to be turning all over the place this morning. Turn to Numbers 32. And I think as I read Numbers 32 quickly, you're going to really get... you're going to really be suited by that context to really understand what's happening in our passage, especially from 18 through 22, the rest of our passage. It won't make much sense if I don't read this. But I want you to hold on to some things here. And if you do, if you hold with me here, brothers and sisters, there will be, by God's grace, payoff at the end. Okay. This is a two-cup-of-water sermon, so I mean, <laughs> Numbers chapter 32. I have the text here. You have it in front of you. Page 178, if you have a Bible from the back, verse 1. Now, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad okay, had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazir and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben right, came and spoke to Moses and to Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Atarath, Deban, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elilah, Sebam, Nebo, and Beon, the land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. But Moses said, now this is, what, this is what happened. Now Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, that was 40 years ago, remember the first generation? They discouraged the sons of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger burned in that day, and he swore, saying, None of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Why? For they did not follow me fully, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. For they have followed the Lord fully. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he made them to wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who have done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. And he's kind of rebuking the leaders of, the, of Gad and the leaders of Reuben and, the, and by implication the half-tribe of Manasseh. You want to go in already? We haven't even conquered the land yet. Are you with me? Okay. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men. To add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following Him, three times, if you turn away from following Him, He will once more abandon them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Then they came, now the leaders of right, the Reubenites and the Gadites, verse 16, they respond. Verse 16, then they came near to Him and said, we will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place. 
while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed the inheritance. For we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side of the Jordan towards the east. So Moses said to them, if you will do this, Moses says, this sounds kind of reasonable here. Maybe I was wrong. So Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of obligation towards the Lord and towards Israel. And this land shall be yours for a possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. So that's the background. There's some negotiating going on with the leaders of of the Gadites and Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. There's concern there of Moses. And, and there's all kinds of themes that are there in place that I want to be in our minds as we come back to our passage. There's themes of brotherhood. There's themes of, uh, of corporate solidarity, which means family and together as the people of God. There's themes of discouragement that leads to the sin of unbelief. And there's encouragement and togetherness that leads to the themes of following the Lord fully and entering into the rest, in this case, the land that God had promised to them. And so we are to, we are to think, and even as we come to the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of God are to know everything that comes before in their Bibles, and we are to know, and we are to realize, if we're going to enter the final rest that God has provided for us, We must follow Him fully. We need to be encouragement. We need encouragement. And discouragement is the enemy of rest. We need to know that we're not alone. There's one thing that will keep us from the final inheritance. The evil of unbelief. This is the Old Testament. So, first then, entering into final rest. We've seen that background then. And some of these big themes that we're going to continue on with as we go into the sermon and move now into the book of Deuteronomy. As they take possession of the land vacated by Sihon and Og. Secondly, let's look at living out present rest living out present rest or commanding the people so now Moses is going to speak go back to Deuteronomy go back to Deuteronomy chapter 3 and now we're on to verse 18 Moses begins to speak and he's going to give two commands to the Reubenites and to the Gadites Right Now that we know the background, these commands will make sense. And he's going to also give a command to Joshua, the future leader of Israel. Okay? So here we go. First, there's two commands for the people of Israel that were heading north, that were already walking by faith, that were moving upon the promises of God, that were taking the land by faith, they were experiencing the presence of God by faith. They had already entered the rest of God. Already, but not yet. There was more rest to be had. There was the final inheritance that they had their eyes upon. How do we live that out? How do we live out our initial rest? This is true for Israel as they were to go in. And this is true for the people of God now for us today. There was two commands made by Moses. Number one. Help your brothers. 
help your brothers. Command number one, help your brothers. Verse 18, take a look at the text. Then I, Moses is speaking, then I commanded you at this time saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess it. So he's talking to the Gadites, the Reubenites, the half-tribe of Manasseh. Look, we're giving you this land. All your valiant men shall cross over armed before your brothers, the sons of Israel. you got to go fight for your brothers. And we know the background of that from, right, from the passage that we read. Correct? You tracking with me? But your wives and your little ones and your livestock, I, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in your cities which I have given to you. Okay? And they're, and they're going to stay there. The, the women, the children, the animals are going to stay on the east of the Jordan in this land until, verse 20, until the Lord gives rest to your fellow countrymen as to you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God will give them beyond the Jordan. Then you may return every man to his possession which I have given you. Are you tracking? So, the, the families, the women and the children, all the livestock, they stay in the good land that the Lord gave through Moses. Um, right? The Gadites and the Reubenites and then the Gadites and then the half-tribe of Manasseh. The men and, I mean, the women, the children, the livestock stay in those cities. The men say, we're going ahead, crossing that Jordan, and we're helping you. We're helping our brothers take the land. Are you with me? By the way, men, listen very carefully. I get to speak to you very directly. The Lord your God has given you this land to possess all you valiant men. There wasn't two classes. There wasn't some non-valiant men that stayed with the women and children back in the land. They were valiant men. They were warriors. They were all of them to go. The protection and safety of the women and children. When the men move. They take possession. They go to fight for their brothers. Numbers 32 emphasizes it. We see it in verse 18. Your brothers. The command is, help your brothers. How do you live out the initial rest as we prepare for the final rest as the people of God? Are you getting it? Help your brothers. The promises were made to the people of God. The people of God rise together. The people of God in Israel and today fall together. They are family. They are brothers. These are our promises. There is corporate solidarity in the people of God. The people of God fight together to take possession of land. They fight together to enter into the final inheritance in the rest of God. There's no independent tribe that is on their own. It's not all about them. No, they needed each other to enter the rest as part of the people of God. And it was war. And it's going to take valiant men. And those men were gone seven years from their family fighting for their brothers before they were allowed to go back. Seven years. And take up possession of the, of the land that we saw on the map. And that is recorded for us. All of this is recorded in the book of Joshua. Now, and so it is today for the people of God. The family of God. The church. Brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. We are not meant to be isolated. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. We're in this together. We're not meant to be alone. Lone Ranger Christians are not in God's will. We are helping our brothers and sisters enter into final rest, the rest of the inheritance. Just like in our passage. They've already entered into the rest of faith. They should have. And yet there's more rest to take hold of in the land of Canaan. And so it is with us, already at rest. 
by faith. And yet, come on, look at us. Certainly, there's a not yet rest coming. The inheritance is coming. What do we do between the already and the not yet? Command number one. How would he live this out? We help our brothers. There's no, as one expositor said, there is no every man for himself attitude here in this passage, nor is that true in the church today, which makes sense of all of the metaphors of the church that Jesus bought with his own blood. Well, the bride and the bridegroom. I think one flesh is fairly unified. Or the living stones stacked together and fitted into the temple of God. That's pretty together. The family of God. That's pretty together. A body connected together with nerves and vascularity. That's together. It makes sense of these metaphors in the New Testament. And it makes sense of all of the one another's of the New Testaments that we read. It doesn't matter what your view on everything else is. We all have the same commands. I don't care what your philosophy of ministry is because of your hermeneutic or all of that stuff. We have the same commands. The same gospel, the same Christ. And they're the one another's. I mean, think of there's at least 38 of them bear one another's burdens, confess to one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, and on and on it goes. And then we come and we think about Deuteronomy 32 and the valiant men. And if the valiant men didn't go and fight, then what, what would be the word that would describe how everyone else would feel? Discouraged, you got it. Discouraged. And that discouragement would lead to fear. And that discouragement and fear would be the root of unbelief. You with me? Sounds like the New Testament. So it was a call to encourage their brothers by fighting with them. Hey, you're not alone. I'll walk with you in this. This is encouragement. And brothers and sisters, the context for entering into the future rest of the inheritance is the same then as it is now. It's always about following the Lord fully. We rest right now by faith alone. And as we're going and pressing on to the upward call on this inheritance, we're called to stir up the faith in each other, to help our brothers through the means of encouragement. Okay, so in that day, it looked like taking up arms <laughs> and going as valiant men with your brothers to fight. But in our day, what does encouragement look like? Well, it could look like dropping a text to, with a verse in it as the Lord leads. It's taking up arms. That's valiant. It could be stopping in the hall and saying, you look discouraged. Can I pray for you right now? It might mean saying nothing at all and believing the best of your brother or sister. It might mean inviting someone over for dinner to get to know them and share your testimony with them. It might mean sitting with someone who's alone down in the fellowship hall after the service who looks lonely. It might be supplying a need that someone has financially. It might be helping them fix a leaky faucet or their furnace. Don't call me on that one. I, guess I can do some other ones. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We're in this together. Your encouragement might be, might be admonishing the unruly. The first command teaches the people of God of every age to live out the rest of faith. The first command is this to the Gadites and the Reubenites. Help your brothers. The second command as we live out our initial rest towards the future inheritance is specifically given to Joshua, the next leader. But I just want you to know that we're meant to be listening in. 
This isn't a private conversation. It's not an elders meeting between two elders. We're meant to be listening in because as we move into the next section here, the second command in 21 and 22, it's not just for Joshua. The you and the yours are plural. So Joshua is being charged in front of the people. All the, and, and so you got the, the leaders then of this church. Yes, this is for you. I'm trying to encourage you, but this is for all of us. And that leads me to the second command. Number one, help your brothers. Number two, do not fear. Do not fear. We're back to the text. We're going to move through it. Look at verse 21. Okay, we're just going verse by verse. Verse 21, now he is, he's going to command Joshua. So, verse 21, I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. Do not fear them. There's the command. For the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. So if Israel is going to enter into her future rest, and if we're going to live out that initial rest by faith and pursue the final inheritance together and the race set before us, then the enemy to that pursuit together is fear. It's fear. Do not fear. Do not fear them. It's, not, it's the fear of man. Do not fear them. The Bible says the fear of man is a dangerous trap. Proverbs 29 verse 25. But trusting the Lord means safety. So when you're fearing people, you're not walking by faith. And fear flows from discouragement. And when you're afraid of man, you cannot follow the Lord fully. You're not walking in rest. Fear is the enemy of faith. Do not Fear. So many verses on the fear of the Lord. Jot these references down. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or Psalm 118. Just write down verses 5 through 9. Psalm 118, verses 5 through 9. Or how about Psalm 56, verses 10 and 11? Psalm 56, 10 and 11, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortal, what can mere mortal man do to me? Or Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Or how about Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5? Hebrews 13 and verse 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So you see, it's this, this fear of people that, and falling into discouragement that is at the very root of unbelief. And we need to have faith. We need to have faith not in our, in our abilities. We need to have faith not in our fellow church members. We need to have faith in the Lord. He's my helper. And so there's a control of the emotions from Moses to Joshua. Come on, Joshua. Be strong in the Lord. Don't be afraid. Look to the past. You've seen what the Lord has done to Sihon and the giant Og. He didn't get lucky. He knows what he's doing. The Lord has promised this land for us. We go forward by faith. This is the paradigm for the future. The text says, So the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. That is not a suggestion. That is a promise to receive by faith. Verse 22 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't get lucky. He's made promises to us. And I'm telling you, the same enemies will face us today. Discouragement because of fear, which often has finances at the heart of it. And we're in this together. we got to help each other, which means encourage each other to put our eyes upon the Lord. This is how we enter into the future rest of God. We live out the initial rest of God. Just like Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why not fear? Now watch this. Okay, do not fear them. Verse 22. Why? For the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. As they're entering in to take possession of their inheritance, and as we are living our lives out together in corporate solidarity together, we've already entered into the rest, but we have a final rest coming, and it's a journey, and we're in it together. We have one that goes before us. We have one. His name is Yahweh. He is one fighting for us. That's an occupation. It's a strange Hebrew construction. It actually is frozen in the Hebrew language, and it's an occupation of God. He's the fighter. Why do we call it a fighter verse? He's the fighter. He's the one fighting for you. That's his job description. God, he's very competent. God is the one fighting for his people. Do you believe it, brothers and sisters? This is how we enter into the rest. This is how we live out the rest. And we're not alone in living it out. As we look to the inheritance, we help our brothers. And we help them by encouraging them to forsake fear. Well, it sounds like we are already in the New Testament. But we're not. And that leads us to the final heading as we try to wrap this up. The rest of God and faith in God have been connected since the beginning. Did you see those things in Deuteronomy 32 and in our passage today? So that leads me to number three, fighting for future rest, believing in the promises. There's your third heading, fighting for future rest. Believing in the promises. Put your seatbelt on. If you thought we were moving quickly before, here we go. The rest of God extends all the way back to the creation week, the seventh day of creation when God rested. It is God's rest. And we can enter into that rest. We don't create that rest. We enter into the rest that God provides. And we know it's by faith this theme is picked up all throughout the first five books of the Bible. We saw it in, in our text in Numbers, and we see it now in Deuteronomy chapter 3. And technically, as we get to one of these technical words about rest in Deuteronomy 3.20, it's a technical word for rest, that in this sense, this God's rest is experienced as a resting place, the place of rest, or the promised land. It's a rest for the rest of God for Israel. But we saw even for Israel that entering into that rest contains a spiritual element of either encouragement or discouragement and fear that leads to either what? Belief or unbelief, following the Lord fully. That was clear in Numbers 32 and Deuteronomy chapter 3. And we saw that the rest is when you believe in God and you're in His presence. This is God's rest. He gives it to you and there's more. And God is the one who goes for it. He's promised it. And he'll give you the final experience of rest. And so the psalmists, when they write the psalms, have all of these things in their minds as they take up writing the psalms. That's how it worked. And so I want you to go to Psalm 95. Then take a right. Go to page 609 if you have a Bible in the back. And turn to Psalm 95.
Okay. Psalm 95. This is an interesting set of psalms from Psalm 93 to Psalm 100. Um, Some people have called them theocratic psalms or millennial psalms or enthronement psalms. Either way you slice it. There's an end times feel for these psalms. And as you come to these, we are to see that we enter into that rest by faith, but there's a final and future rest for the people of God, a divine rest that is even in the context of these psalms that we come to. And we know as we come to the New Testament that that final rest will be celebrated fully and completely. Relief will finally come to us at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet we can enter even now into the rest of God by faith. For all the people of God, our final rest, even Israel's final rest, is a different city. A future final rest is all and for everyone tied up to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a sad thing to be a double loser. To fail in unbelief to enter into the rest of God and thereby fail to enter in to the inheritance and the rest of God in glory. For the Israel of old, it was a triple loser. (laughs) They didn't believe then. They didn't enter the promised land and they won't enter into the final city. Very sad. May not one of us be found today to not having trusted into Christ and entered today into the rest of God. And so we pick it up then in Psalm 95 and verse 6. Hope you're there. The psalmist writes, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. He won't won't be our God in the future after we work for it. He is our God. We are the people of His pasture. We are the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation. And they said, and said, they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter my, it's God's, my rest. And so we have this hard heart of unbelief that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you haven't entered into God's rest now. And you won't enter into God's rest in the future. And this great theme of God's rest, the psalmist takes up in Psalm 95, the author of Hebrews picks up, doesn't he? In Hebrews chapter 3. So now I want you to take a right, go all the way to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, find verse 1. This is page 1,198. 1,198. Okay, I'm going to read quickly for the sake of time, but we've read it already. But I want you to just, I just want you to say, oh my, all of these themes were in there from the beginning. Everything he's talking about here. Are you ready? Here we go. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. I hope you're there. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also. They had good news preached to them. They had promises. But the word they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed have entered that rest just just as He has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere, I love that, concerning on the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them, that's the Israelites, 
they formerly had good news preached to them, failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest, who has entered his rest, has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Look at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So who does the author of Hebrews focus on as he speaks about rest? In this great section of rest, he puts our eyes, he puts our hearts squarely on a person. And we are to remember, this is God's rest. This is a rest that God provides. Where do we find that rest? Or should I say it this way, in whom do we find that rest? The rest that God himself provides. His name is Jesus. Jesus has an occupation. He is Yahweh come in the flesh. He is one fighting for you. He is one who has fought for you. And He is one who has sat down, finished fighting, and it ever lives to pray for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the fighter God. That is His occupation. That is why He came. He came to work, not rest. He came to work, to earn a righteousness you could not earn. He came to work. He came to finish your sin and pay its full penalty upon the cross of Calvary. And God vindicated. He, in, in fact, declared him, you are the righteous son of God through his resurrection. And there is a resurrection ministry of our great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a ministry that he still has, a forever ministry according to the order of Melchizedek. He has finished the work for your salvation. Your sin is gone. He has earned a righteousness, but he's not done. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to help you. He ever lives to fight for you. He ever lives to intercede for you that your faith would not fail. The Christ will not rest till each and every one of us had entered final rest but make no mistake about it he's not praying for us in isolation he's not praying for us as an island to ourselves he's praying for you yes but he's praying for his church for his bride and that's why the author of hebrews i think picks up on this help your brothers did you see the encouragement even in the past i read i want you to flip over to hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, and I want you to see this. I want this whole theme to tie together for you. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, the text says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now let this sink in, this next verse. And let us consider 
how to stimulate one another to love and good needs, deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have rested in Christ. Let's go together into the final rest. That final rest is coming. But can you believe it? Can you believe it? Through faith in Jesus Christ, you have already entered into that rest. It's a sure thing. The final rest is certain. You've entered into it. And how did you enter into the rest? Did you work for it? No, that's why it's called rest. No work allowed. Faith alone. Don't even pick up a stick. No gathering of manna. God has provided plenty. Just trust Him. No sowing or harvesting this year. God has given enough. Believe it. This is the year of jubilee. This is the year of release. By the work of His Son, God has declared all debts canceled for all who believe. Do not work, God says, just trust. Only that person who does not work, but believes on Him who justifies the godly, Romans 4, 5, enters that rest. This rest is a celebration of God's work. A work taken up so long ago and accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith alone in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one fighting for you. God in Christ has fought and accomplished your rest, and God has destined His people for rest through faith alone, so that we say with the hymn writer, I boast no more of all the duties I have done. I quit the hopes I held before to trust the merits of Thy Son. The best obedience of my hands dares not appear before Thy throne. But faith can answer thy demands by pleading what the Lord has done. Entering into his future rest, living out our current rest and fighting for future rest, all the fight of faith, which makes me ask the question and really care about the answer. Are you discouraged today? Are you afraid today? Jesus knows, and that's why he invites us to come to him today in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.